You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's turned downtown Tokyo into a sea of fire. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Mr. Jeff McLarge Huge. Yes, I, I get to wear my Godzilla fan uh, with pride for that. <laughs> yes. Oh, I was hoping you were going to do the show completely in like a Godzilla rubber suit, which would be awesome. It's way too hot for that, and the little fan that's supposed to blow in the air to keep me cool is needs batteries, so I couldn't get it on. Uh, you know what happened to me, like, last week, right before I went grocery shopping? It's like, it's only happened to me, like, two other times in my lifetime, and every time it happens, it sucks. My car got broken into. Oh, that sucks. But they didn't take anything. They just checking? Or was it one of those, like, they break it in, like, oh, oh, it's a base model gray Honda. Oh, jeez, this guy's really probably on his last legs. This, he probably had to borrow money to get this car. Like, you know what? Yeah. Let's just let's just leave it as it is. Poor guy, let's leave him five bucks. No, um, <laughs> it, it's my fault. I didn't lock my car door. So I get up on Sunday morning to go grocery shopping, and I notice that the door isn't closed properly, and I thought to myself, ah, crap. I didn't close the door right, and my battery's going to be dead now. Right. Nope, that's not what happened at all. Uh, somebody went into my car, and like the glove box was open, the center console was open, and like where a, the ashtray would be, which is where I keep my vaccination card, yep. uh, that was open. But like, there was a dollar right there. And they didn't take it. I don't know what the hell they were looking for, but then maybe they were just nosy. <laughs> He's going to need this more than we are. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Let's, all right. Let's go. Let's, this guy's got enough problems. Well, you know what else I think <laughs> happened? Hey, you, you've met me, right? I'm, I, 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 like, I like horror movies and stuff. So True. hanging from my passenger side visor is a voodoo doll. And I also wow. have an inverted cross that I made. So <laughs> I think what happened is like they reached over – opened up the glove box and were like face to face with this voodoo doll and maybe they were like stupid superstitious which is great they're probably like oh christ we're cursed now which may or may not be the truth (laughs) 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 i'm sure they broke it they were like oh dude we figured out where satan parks his car (laughs) you don't want to leave any prints in this let's let's just back out of this don't take the money it's a trap yep which is a lot better than the other previous times that my car's have been broken into. Yeah. One time they broke the back window and stole a bunch of CDs out of the car, including a Marillion fan club CD that took me like 10 years to replace. Uh, thank you, eBay. And then uh, I had... bought it back from the guy that stole it, huh? Is that what you're telling me? No, 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 no. I bought it unless that guy moved to England. Um, oh, 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 Yeah. And then uh, another time a, a car got broken into in my, in my driveway. They stole my stereo. And that's... Really weird because I live on a busy street and I don't know when the last time you went by my house was, 
but I have such bright lights on my porches. It looks like I'm trying to land aircraft. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the last time I was at your house, there was nobody around except for your car, and I was kind of rooting around inside, but I couldn't find you. So, <laughs> And I gave you that $5 back that I owed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> All right. So, anyway, that notwithstanding. Hey, guess what I got this week, Jeff? Whoa. Or we got, I should Whoa. say. We got it, but I read it. You didn't see it. Somebody sent in a trivia question. I like trivia questions. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't like trivia questions on this show, but I like <laughs> trivia questions like in general. But the trivia questions on this show are very popular and always well received. So, yes. on an American sitcom, there is a character whose name is Roy Hinckley, but he is more colloquially uh, known as something else. So, like, you know how Alf, Alf's real name is Gordon Shumway? Sure. Yeah, well, this this character's real name is... For the sake of argument, yeah. okay. Yeah, this, of course I do. Yeah, this character's name is... You brought it up as a birthday one time, you bastard. Anyway, Roy Hinckley is the character's name, but he's more colloquially known as something else. And I'll give you a hint. Right. It's not okay. the Soup Nazi. It's not the Soup Nazi. No. Well, that never would have guessed that that guy's name was Roy Hinckley. All right, so this is the week beginning May the 2nd. And I believe it is your turn to start. May the 2nd, 1908, the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game is registered for copyright. Do you like that song, Bill? No, I don't. I hate that song. <laughs> why Why do you hate Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Bill? It's bossy. I don't it's like it. Bossy. It's like, the, yeah, it's like, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Hey, how about one, you buy your own damn snacks, and two, go get it yourself, you lazy shit. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Yeah. It is definitely sort of a, there's no subliminal message. In it. You don't have to play the song backwards to realize that somebody wants you to get them popcorn and cracker jacks. Because yeah. it just says like, get me some popcorn and cracker jacks, worship Satan. You'll never come back. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it was inspired by uh, an advertisement for baseball at the Polo Grounds, which is now a long gone baseball park in New York City. It was inspired by a commercial for peanuts and cracker jacks, I bet. Yeah, I'm surprised that they, you know, I'm the, whoever the Cracker Jack Corporation is, Cracker Jack International, a division of the Kobayashi Corporation or something, hasn't sued to either make sure everybody sings that song at baseball games or prevent everybody from singing that song at baseball games. And, by the way, another problem I have with this song, there's freaking peanuts in Cracker Jacks. You don't need a superfluous bag of peanuts. Just get the box of Cracker Jacks and be happy with it. It's amazing to me that this <laughs> riles you up so, so very much, and I love it. You know, they still sing this song every game in the seventh inning during the seventh inning stretch, which to me is a respite when I find myself watching the Red Sox because I know that at any second they're going to launch into the most annoying song in the history of baseball, Sweet Caroline. For me, this song is infinitely better than Sweet Caroline. Therefore, I will take the superfluous peanuts. I am a mirror opposite of you. I will take Sweet Caroline over this song. Sweet Caroline needs more peanuts. That's maybe the problem with that song. All right, so uh, going forward exactly 80 years in one day, a much better song slash album gets released. Queensryche releases their Operation Mindcrime album, arguably their best album, arguably their only really good album. And arguably the only album they're still touring on in two different forms. Yes. They've milked a lot out of this cow, but it's a good cow. I really, really like the Operation Mindcrime album. They had a few albums beforehand. I think they had two full albums and one EP prior to this album. Yeah. 
Yes, and Rage for were, Order was the one before this one, right? Yes, Rage for Order and the warning before that. Then the eponymous <laughs> EP. Yes. Uh, Which still but, has a couple good songs on it. Jet City Woman, good tune. Jet City Woman is on Empire, which came out after her. Oh, yes, okay. Sorry. Yep. I'm getting my Queensryche album order confused. Yep. My Queensryche Rage for Album order. <laughs> it's not like they have a plethora of albums either, so it goes <laughs> to show you how much Queensryche I listen to. But I've loved Minecraft since it first came out as a, an, an adult of advanced age, as I like to say. I view the record a little bit differently now than I did when it was new, and I was like, yes, fight the system, be an assassin, make sweet love to a thing that's a nun lady. I love it, yes, it's, it's this album speaks to me. And now I listen to it, I'm like, this album was clearly written by people who were younger than I am and probably yeah. in their early 20s. Yeah, it tells the story of an anarchist named Professor X, and he's going to, I don't know... The story's really muddy, uh, but I know this. I know this is a nun that used to be a prostitute that worked for Professor X, and priest is I don't know. There's a there's a lot going on in the album. I like um, that this record has been out for like nearly 35 years between the two of us, or a little over 35 years, and we're still both trying to figure out what the, what the central plot line of it is. And we've both listened to it enough that we've memorized all the songs. Oh, yeah, I could probably give you every lyric to the song in order, right? <laughs> but, st- like, the, the storyline, I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe the tracks that fill those 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 gaps in, they they just did, they, they didn't, rec- they didn't do them. Yeah, you know yeah. what, drop that one. That one explains way too much. Let's do it. Let's do that. Let's put that. No, no, you know what? We'll put that line in that you really like, Jeff. You just record it, and we'll do it one take. Even in death, you still look sad. <laughs> Um, and now that I think about it, it's like this album came out, what, 34 years ago. And now that I put my mind to it, I don't really know what's going on in this album. Well, I mean, I know what's going on, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like falling asleep in and out of a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you wake up and you're like, oh, wait, there's new cat. Oh, that's the, that's the guy I was watching. Right. Where, what time is it? Was I asleep for a long time? Yeah. Who are so, these people? Right, let, let me, let me see if I can, if I could sum this up real quick. <laughs> Professor X has this like anarchist group, Anarchy X, that he wants to like overthrow governments and stuff. So he gets a bunch of people hooked on dope to do his dirty work at assassinations for him. Nikki goes to take out the nun. Nikki's the main character. Nikki goes to take out the nun uh, because Professor X told her to kill her, but she's already dead and she looks sad even in death. <laughs> and then, I don't know. I think I, I, I feel like I'm missing some scenes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still. You can sing along with this record and have no idea what the hell you're it's, singing about. It's a, You know what I think it is? Is like when we were, I mean, I was 18, 18 years old when this album came out. Not even. And because it was a concept album and it told a story, like, you know, all the songs allegedly told this cohesive story all the way through. Though, you know, it was like, oh, my God, that's so smart. That's so intelligent. Metal bands didn't do that. They just sang about their dicks. It was like the next level up. But now as, you know, a middle-aged dude, I'm like looking back at this album and I'm like, it's it's good, but it's also, it's kind of silly, isn't it? It is very silly. I still love it, even if it's goofy as all get out. I will say this for anyone in our audience who happens to be named Jeff Tate. 
I know sometimes you do come to the town I live in to play at the, mu- the Tupelo Music Hall. If you do, I'd love to hang out with you and ask you dumb questions about this record. Like, what is it about? Who are the main characters again? <laughs> Can you summarize it for me? And let me write that down. So. And why on earth did you write Operation Mindcrime 2? Yeah, I never why listened to that? that. I listened to that album not all that long ago. It's not great. It's not nearly as good as the first. There's a couple of good songs on it, but it's like clearly a cash in. Right. Is it purposefully confusing? I don't know. I didn't try to follow along. I'll have to give the second one a spin. I don't think I've ever listened to it all the way through. All right. What do we got for the fourth? May the fourth be with you. May fourth is with you. And Sorry, also with I, you. I, I went to Catholic school. Star, Star Wars Day, and apparently it's a responsive Catholic reading day. But yes, uh, <laughs> May 4th is Star Wars Day. As we are want to do with our favorite silly holidays is to make them more prominent. So may the 4th be with you. I'm not sure we could make May the 4th be with you any more prominent than it is already. Like, I remember, like, maybe 10 years ago when it first became, like, a meme it was like, hey, may the 4th be with you. It's like, oh, that's kind of funny. That's cool. Yeah. And now everybody's like, hey, may the 4th be with you. Get it? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. I get it. It's like the zombie Jesus joke. <laughs> I, I get it, too. More recently, people have started to say, like, on the, the next day, you know, the Revenge of the 5th or, or whatever, to sort of stretch it out. I kind of think it's cool to tie it back to the pop cultural idea that's in the Star Wars universe, and I think it's a neat way to sort of remember that it, science fiction should be fun and Wait, can now, be fun. Now, hold on a second. You just said the next day? So what do you say, Revenge of the 5th? Yes. See, I say Revenge of the 6th, because to me, 6th sounds more like Sith. Well, all I'm going to say is 5th sounds more like Sith to me, and I have the high ground. <laughs> You know what? The number now that I think about it, the number five kind of looks like an you have S. Failed me for the last time. See, look at that. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> UA fire when ready. <laughs> and how do you celebrate May the Fourth be with you, Dave? Uh, it depends on if it's on the weekend. I might watch like uh, a couple of episodes of Clone Wars, which I really liked. The uh, show that spanned the space between the Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the of the Sith. Or I might. Ah. Yes. The, f- the Revenge of This. Or I might go back and watch, like, A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. I don't do it every year. I generally, if it falls on a weekend, I do. Uh-huh. I try to. Yeah, I, I can't say I really do anything to celebrate other than, like, maybe I'll do a Photoshop and stick my head on, on a Han Solo body or something like that. Yeah, I, I celebrate it in, in the in the quiet way. Yeah. So I'll, I I'll, it's not like I dress up like Emperor Palpatine and go out and, like, lay my fingers to the neighbors. I have a cool picture of me doing my Tony Stark get up at the Moss Eisley bar with a dead Greedo. Yeah. So I'll put that up as my uh, my profile picture or something. That's a, that's about as far as I go. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Here's a day that I'm more than happy to celebrate. Uh, May the 5th, 1968, the McDonald's Big Mac hamburger makes its nationwide debut. Oh, I especially like that day. Yes. Because it's my favorite mclarge hamburger ah. it's mclarge huge you know what um, as kids everybody loved mcdonald's and then like i guess as your taste buds change a little bit over the years and all that mcdonald's uh, you know i i can't say i could take it or leave it but i definitely don't eat it nearly as much as i used to maybe right maybe three times a year you know mm-hmm. but damn it i love big macs i don't know yeah. what it is they're super good I think when they're fresh, they're good. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I think we've all had the bad Big Mac experience. I sent one back and I was like, hey, get in your time machine and tell Ray Kroc this isn't a good one. You know, can you make me one today? 
and kind of looked at me. I'm like, this Big Mac is old enough to vote. This thing's cold. <laughs> and they made me a fresh one, and it was the best Big Mac I'd had. The, that day. Yeah, and the bun in the middle was stale sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I started getting, like, Thousand Island dressing, which is essentially what the... Uh, right, Big Mac's secret sauce is. secret sauce is, yeah. I started using Thousand Island dressing and, you know, just adding that up with, like, ground beef. And I was like, oh, my God, this tastes like a Big Mac. I don't need to leave my house anymore. <laughs> I just got to shred some lettuce on this thing and I'm set. Yep. And some ketchup and mustard. I'm, I'm rolling in it. Yeah. I don't know why, but it's just the right combination of flavors and textures and sweet and salty and everything else to make them just really, really, really flavorful. And a credit to marketing because here we are probably 30 years since they've last used the jingle, but I could still- I can sing it. Sing it. Yeah. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Boom. Yeah. You deserve a break today. I'm hungry. Who wrote that? That was a trivia question. Do you remember the answer? That was. That was uh, That was written by uh, Barry Manilow. That's right. Very good. That's right. He that's, deserved a break today, too. That's a At the Copa. Case. Copa Cabana. <laughs> the hottest spot north of Havana. Moving on to the next day. May 6th, 1994. <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwait, while being interviewed on The Tonight Show, started his chair on fire. He sprayed it down with lighter fluid and set it aflame. <laughs> of course, stagehands had to run out. They cut the commercial, and then the chair was all burned up for the rest of the interview. He was later fined $2,700 for violating the law of New York City and intentionally starting a fire, plus the cost of the chair, which was 700 bucks. And he had to make several public service announcements about, about fire safety. God, I wish I could find one of the public service announcements to play. Because I can only imagine him as Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, right. <laughs> Telling you not to burn your house down as a kid. Yeah, doing it in like the whole like Police Academy character. <laughs> right. I can't remember right. his character's name in Police Academy, but just like the whole <laughs> kind of <laughs> shtick that he had going <laughs> House on yeah. fire. <laughs> I always thought Bobcat was funny, and I love the movies that he's he's made. He's he's out doing stand-up again, but he doesn't do the character of Bobcat anymore. He, he does more traditional stand-up. He's wicked funny. Yeah, I've seen one of his more recent specials, and one of his comedy albums that's probably like 20 years old now, but in his career, it's pretty you know, recent. One of his comedy albums is called Something Along the Lines of, I don't mean to insult you, but you look just like Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> I guess somebody ran into him in an airport or something and actually said that to him. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. He got his first acting gig because of Robin Williams. They probably did so much coke together. That's why. I'm sure. Um, if I remember the interview correctly, he said it was uh, like a Snickers bar commercial. Uh-huh. Bobcat Goldthwait is only 59 years old. Yeah. yeah. He'll be 60 later this month, but we'll probably talk about it. But uh, yeah, he's only 59 years old. Like, like I said, he got started really young. It seems like he's been around forever. You know, he did. And he branched out into that. Like before indie cinema was indie cinema. Mm -hmm. Like he branched out early to get out of doing the Hollywood stuff where he was always he was kind of being pigeonholed as like the crazy second banana character. Yes. And went off and he made what I think is the Citizen Kane of clown movies, Shakes the Clown. That burgeoned into a big career in making independent films. I don't think I've ever seen that. I saw that like a crazy gun revenge movie that he he did, I don't think he was in it. I think he directed it. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't either. Yeah. He did like World's Greatest Dad with Robin Williams. He plays the guy whose son commits suicide and he invents a diary that his son was keeping. Pretty much the same as the play Dear Evan Hansen, as Bobcat will point out if you watch interviews with him. <laughs> 
But and he did definitely do those spots because I remember seeing him. We got an email. Uh, we got a few emails this week. We'll have to pitch that at the end of the show again. But another email that we got was somebody actually thanking us for not working dark. You know, we don't talk about serial killers. We don't definitely don't talk about politics. You know, all of our stories are uplifting or at least neutral or goofy or whatever. Uh, that being said, uh, <laughs> May the 7th of 1999, a jury finds the Jenny Jones show and Warner Brothers liable in the death of Scott Amateur after purposely deceiving Jonathan Schmitz to appear on a same-sex crush episode. And then Schmitz later killed Amateur, and the jury awarded Amateur's family $25 million. So what had happened is this guy, uh, Jonathan Schmitz, was on the show, and they told him that, you know, somebody has had a long-time crush on him. So he's like, okay, cool. But when he gets to the show, it turns out, it was uh, one of these dudes that he happened to know, Scott Amador, and uh, Jonathan Schmitz felt so embarrassed that he had this like gay crush exposed on him on national television, and he was so infuriated by such a thing that he ended up killing our friend Scott Amador over here. The Amador family sued uh, the show, Jenny Jones Show, and Warner Brothers. That began the. That was like the beginning of the end. For the afternoon trashy talk shows. Yeah, it started there and then real quickly the audience for them started to dry up. I don't know if Jenny Jones was the worst of them at the time because I don't remember it being any any worse than any of the others that were on. And for those of you who may be going, what is an afternoon talk show? What the heck are you talking about? Think about like before there was a YouTube comment section, people had to gather someplace to be (laughs) terrible to one another. Yes. And those were the shows. That right. was like those things come to life? Yeah, the the talk shows, there was so many of them, and they were all trashy. I mean, I know everybody thinks of Oprah Winfrey as this, like, amazing, you know, talk show, almost like journalist. Well, she was a journalist prior to the, the show, but Oprah's, like, on a huge pedestal. But early on in the Oprah Winfrey show, she had all those trashy kind of... Uh, Guests. They did start as like news magazines. So like the very beginning was Phil Donahue. Mm-hmm. And then when he started to have competition in the afternoon from Oprah and some other talents, yep. he got more extreme and they got more into like, hey, if your husband treats you so bad, why don't you leave him? <sighs> What's the, I'm not sure what the right adjective is. Seedy or... Controversial. Uh, controversial topics, but they weren't controversial topics that were super newsworthy. Although the occasional one on Satanism and rock and roll. Right would come around that I'm sure Bill and I both remember and can probably quote some of the episodes from. I mean, Jenny Jones had uh Gigi Allen on right before he died. I mean, like, like run down the list. I mean, think about how many were on at that time. There was Jenny Jones, yep. Sally, Jesse Raphael. Hers was pretty right. trashy. She stayed trashy too. She did. Yeah. Until she went off the air. What was that and, one uh, that we were talking about before? Uh, the actress one. Lake who Ricky transitioned Lake. from being an actress in Hollywood to being a, an afternoon TV show. There was comedian uh, Rosie O'Donnell had her show yep. to compete with Oprah when Oprah was... started to soften her image. Right. And then Ellen picked up Ellen, long after yeah. that. I think the godfather of all these shows, like before Jerry before Jerry Springer became the king, you remember the Morton Downey Jr. show? 
<laughs> I think yeah, he was so one I of the do. first really like cuckoo banana ones. Yeah. Yeah, he was on at night. He was on a different time though. Yeah, he was like the so early was, early going to the Fox at, Network. Yeah. The afternoon ones were catering to the audience of like teenagers home from school and the sort of the same audience that would gravitate towards soap operas because they transitioned right out of soap operas into those shows. It's still like that today. They were catering to my mother is who they were catering to. My mom used to watch yeah, all well, that like, shit. Like, like they're catering to my mother now. So if you go from soap operas now, they go from soap operas into like now they're pre-newsy news shows where it's like recipes and weather yeah. and celebrity gossip and other sort of stuff. But it's structured like a news show. But for 20 years, it was straight into like today on Sally Jesse Raphael. Teenage boys who have antlers and the girls who love them. And it's like, what What the hell kind of show could this possibly be about? And that's what you end up kind of getting. And it leads to this kind of horrible, horrible, horrible violence. A, a guy getting killed because he ambushes his friend with a gay crush and, and his friend can't deal with it and doesn't have the support system to deal with it. Hey, uh, uh, moving on from that, though, that's our one dark thing. Let's talk about horror movies. <laughs> well, speaking of dark, on May 8th, 1958... Hammer Films releases their very first film, Dracula, or their adaptation of Dracula, which brings uh, Christopher Lee in as the Count and Peter Cushing in as Dr. Van Helsing, directed by Terrence Fisher. Terrence Fisher would go on to direct a million Hammer, Dracula, and Frankenstein and Mummy movies, ultimately provided the impetus for that whole film series. Yeah, they took kind of like all the the stuff that Universal Studios had made like in the 30s. And just kind of like updated them, like modern tellings. And I say modern, and I'm borrowing your air quotes from you because these were like in the 1950s. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb that to say that our good friend George Lucas, you know, may the fourth be with you, uh, was a big fan of the Hammer films because Peter Cushing was in the, a lot of the Hammer films, and he went on to be Grand Moff Tarkin, and then Christopher Lee went on to be Count Dooku. Yes. The Hammer films were special because they were all in color. They were in three-strip Technicolor, so they looked beautiful. But, man, I've gone back to watch them. Like, again, I love classic horror movies. Yep. They are slow. Yes. They are so paced so slowly. And they're short, too. They're only like an hour. Yeah, it's 80 minutes. It feels like 180 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've had planks that didn't feel as long as that, right? (laughs) <laughs> I've gone back to, I watched a whole bunch of the Dracula ones in the last year or two. Yep. And right up until around like 1970. So this, they were making these things for a long, long time. Yes. Even Peter, even uh, Christopher Lee was like, I'm not making any more Dracula films. And they came to him and, and I think, I don't know if it was Dracula 80, 1970, or if it was the one that was right after. It was the last one that he was in. They said, no, 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 we're going to stick to the book. We're going to go right like the way the book is. And he made the film and he had no lines. It was so bad. By then, the, the Hammer films had, like, no money. Going back and watching them, they're like ACDC records. Every single one is the same. There are just little variations that make it a little bit different, but if you consider the first film, Thunderstruck, you can hear, Thunder! <laughs> and every single film after that one. It's really funny. Yeah, they use a lot of the same sets and backgrounds and stuff. It's like, I know that tree. Same dialogue, sometimes. <laughs> same plot devices, same actors, actors. Oh, it's crazy. Still love them. But, yeah. boy, you you got to definitely drink a ton of coffee to sit down and, and get through that 80 minutes. When I watched my first Hammer film, because I had never seen any of them, when I watched my first one, I watched Frankenstein, or one of the Frankensteins. My friend was like, well, what did you think? And I said, that is a B movie with A-level acting. 
Yes. The acting is phenomenal, but the sets and makeup are garbage. All right, let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. All right. So, May the 2nd, 1892, a man by the name of, ready for this? Baron Manfred von Richthofen, a.k.a. the Red Baron, Snoopy's yes. nemesis. It had something like 80 uh, shoot-downs in World War One. Yep. Helped find the idea of the sort of superstar fighter ace. Yeah. He uh, sought out 22 the- in one month. Yeah. He definitely put a lot of pilots back on the ground in various states of ability to do things afterwards. And then ultimately, like so many... Uh, pilots in World War One, aces notwithstanding, met his end, killed by ground fire from an Australian machine gun nest, and, oh. and that was the end of him. He had a brother that fought in the war, too, named Lothar. I think he lived all the way through the war, but did not long afterwards. And what uh, color was his baron? His He was also part of the flying circus, but I don't know that his plane was red. He was world famous when he was flying, both on the Allied side and the Axis side. This is like, you know, again, you don't have TV, Bill. There's no TV in 1917. So you can't have, like a TV show to find people in that are interesting. Right. You have to like take them from real life. And unfortunately at the time, you know, this is where like superstars came from is this horrible, horrible uh, million killing war. So, all right, moving on to the third May 3rd, 1933. He feels good. He knows that he should now, Bill. He feels good. James Brown. (laughs) That's right. Uh, James Brown, soul singer extraordinaire, the godfather of soul, the man who put on 900 million concerts, and all of them were interesting. Mr. More, more, more. Mr. Please, please, please himself. Yes. Yep. Did you say the hardest working man in show business? I did not yet, but you you just The did, hardest so. working man in show business. The hardest working man in show business. And a guy who apparently, like, mercilessly ripped off his band for the entire time that he was performing with them. Yep. So James Brown, interesting Little fun facts. I don't know if it happened at the same time, but I know that both Jimi Hendrix and Bootsy Collins both played in James Brown's band. Imagine that at the same time. Holy cow. And then James Brown, so he died in 2006. One of his last performances was right here in New Bedford. Did you know that? Was it really? Yeah. He played at the Zyterian Theater. Uh, Yeah, he died like in, I think he died like in June of 2006. And he had just played in New Bedford like in April. Uh, Moving on to the 4th. May the 4th, born in 1951, the guitar player for Motley Crue, Mick Mars. Who has always looked like he looks now, even when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, Well, he was a considerable couple of years older than most, at least 10 years older than most of the guys in the band. And it's funny because he was like in bands prior to Motley Crue. And you see pictures of him when, like from the seventies, when he has like a big old must, a big old nineteen seventies mustache. Yeah, and it's like, my God, you are just a space alien of a man. <laughs> he definitely does look like he comes from his last name. Yeah, it's a very fitting name for him. Yeah. Yes. Did you see the dirt? Did you watch the movie The Dirt? I have not watched. No, I, I've got it queued. It's in my Netflix queue, but I haven't watched it. It's fun. It's a fun movie, and. The guy that they got to play Mick Mars doesn't look anything like Mick Mars. He looks like a human being. And, <laughs> but I love his attitude where he was just like, he just thought everybody else in the band was a bunch of losers. And he thought he was the best guitar player that they could find, which eh, I don't know, man. Mick, Mick Mars, is, I don't know. He's okay. Uh, Molly Crew's never been my favorite band, but uh, of all of all I the really people in like Molly Crew that end up in the news, though, like 
right, Tommy Lee, and big conversations about drugs. And then there's there's Nikki Six who's getting in the spat now with uh, what's his face from Pearl Jam, and the less said about Vince Neil, the better. But Mick Mars is like the guy who's like, you know what? He's the anchor. He holds that whole <laughs> he holds that whole organization together. I don't know how he does it. He just because he's probably playing anything. shuffleboard in a nursing home. That's why. <laughs> All right, moving on. All right, May fifth, eighteen eighty nine. Uh, Jack Pierce, the makeup artist who defined Universal Monsters, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy, and then there are sort of variants that came in the sequel films, The Bride of Frankenstein, etc., ended up getting into the film industry in 1920 and took over kind of when Lon Chaney died in 1930 and became like the principal makeup artist for Universal Studios. Right. After Lon Chaney, I mean, Lon Chaney was just, I mean, an anchor. You know, a Blanchini actually kind of like kept to himself. He used to like lock the doors whenever he did his makeup because he didn't want anybody like picking up on his tricks and effects and stuff like that. But once he passed away, uh, Jack Pierce had filled in and like all the iconic looks that you could think of, like you just ran down the list. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein, the mummy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's all Jack Pierce's handiwork. Amazing stuff. Still sets the, the standard today, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, whenever you think of Frankenstein, that's Jack Pierce's work. And, like, literally, how many Frankenstein movies don't take lead from that? Right. You know? He really yeah. said that that standard high. I mean, even as recently as the surprisingly low-quality film, I, Frankenstein, owes a debt to to Jack Pierce because... <laughs> I because want my money back, is what she I want call. my money back. I, it's actually spelled out A-Y-E-I, Frankenstein. <laughs> With Aaron Eckhart, his makeup is is reminiscent of Jack Pierce's. So yeah. it goes to show you that a good idea, well visualized, will last forever. All right. Uh, moving on, May the 6th, 1856. One of my favorite characters in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Sigmund Freud. Oh, <laughs> the guy who interprets dreams and realizes everybody's in love with their mothers. Yeah, you can call me Ziggy. Uh, hey, and sp- speaking of Motley Crue levels of cocaine consumption... <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was from Austria. He's a psychiatrist. He was the founder of modern psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that came up with the term Oedipus complex, which is creepy and weird. And I don't even uh, define it. He's the one that came up with the term sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Because I guess some people were accusing him of reading, you know, too much sex into the, the interpretation of dreams. Well, he goes through like the stages where there's like the stages of life where there's there's like the oral phase, the anal phase, etc. That yeah, that's all part of his descriptions. And ha- again, having to defend his work, it's like yeah, you know, maybe maybe it is just a cigar, right? <laughs> Perv. The Jenny yeah, Jones he, show is that way. You pervo sicky, yeah. Right. But yep, Sigmund Freud. Any anytime you hear that, you know, tell me about your mother. Yep, that's him. That's that's who they're talking about. Yep. Still one of the foundational characters in the development of modern. Uh, psychiatry, so. And one of the foundational characters in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I might add. <laughs> yes, he is. Frude the Dude. Egghead. All right, moving on. Uh, May 7th, 1911, one of my all-time favorite directors, whose name is often mispronounced when it's mistranslated out of Japanese, Ishiro Honda. Oh, I have a gray Honda in my driveway. Somebody broke <laughs> you into do it. do have a gray Honda. Someone recently broke into it. Ishiro Honda was the director of Godzilla, made in 1954, and was Japan's first real exported giant monster movie. There's one that came before it, but it didn't get a wide release. 
uh, with a big like ape guy, went on to influence all of the other films that would come out in that early first 10 or 12 years of the what would become known as the Shawa series of the Godzilla franchise. Oh, right wow. up until 1977 when he directed uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla. Uh, you said that people mispronounce his last name. How do you mispronounce Honda? You don't. It's the first name that gets mispronounced. So oh. I, until surprisingly recently, Bill, like within the last 20 years, which in Godzilla time here in the United States is like yesterday, because the films have only been widely available here for maybe 20 years. He was always translated as Inoshiro Honda mm-hmm. or Isho Honda. Or some other variant of... So I thought his name was Inoshiro up until I started to get DVDs with the Japanese prints of the film with subtitles. And it was like, oh, it's Ishiro Honda. Okay. Even though on the screen it might say in the American version, Inoshiro Honda. All right. And uh, let's wrap up the birthdays on May the 8th, 1953. The only person I've ever heard that has ever gotten along with Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen, his (laughs) older brother. Oh, yes, one of the members of the Eddie and Alex Van Halen band and friends. Yes. Uh, Alex Van Halen was the drummer for Van Halen, who has had a lot of people come in and out of their band. It's almost like, yes, but with only one really good musician. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm not a huge Van Halen person. but uh, I've, gone, I've gone back to listen to their early records. And I, I I like him a lot more now than I did when I was younger. So I don't know what that means, but yeah, the thing with Van Halen is they had like a tumultuous, very widely publicized breakup whenever David Lee Roth left the band, and then they replaced him with Sammy Hagar. And then over the years, they kind of patched a couple of things up with David Lee Roth, and they wanted to put out a greatest hits album, and they did a couple more songs with David Lee Roth, and Sammy Hagar was like, hey, uh, uh, you know, so they had a huge ugly falling out with Sammy Hagar. And then Michael Anthony was like deuces with the Van Halen brothers and he went with Sammy Hagar. And then they have a huge ugly breakup with David Lee Roth again. And you kind of put it together that the Van Halen brothers are just really difficult to get along with. (laughs) Yes, they are. Maybe that tension is one of the things that made their early music interesting. Uh, You know what was not interesting was like the album they did with Gary Sharon, which... (laughs) Which featured the worst song ever. Jeff, I am so sorry. I'm really sorry. This this week was my suggestion for the worst song ever. And I was like all excited about it. And then I found myself having to do the research. And I I didn't have a good day. Did you have a good day today? I didn't have a good day. By virtue of doing this show today, made me go and seek this song out. So now... My YouTube algorithm <laughs> has evidence that I was hunting down versions of this song, so it will haunt me for the next million years. And now it's going to haunt all of you, because yes. we are talking about Gerardo's Rico Suave. Rico Suave. That can handle a man like me That's why I juggle two or three I ain't wanna comment You can omit that bit You pop the question, that's it A ver, un, dos, tres, cuatro mujeres Y la situación, ahí no muere No es un delito Calmo mi apetito Como un llanto, un grito So again, don't let my lyrics So, oh goodness As I, 
as I usually do whenever we're uh, uh, doing these worst song ever clips, is mm-hmm. I will look up the album from said performer. Right. So I listened to the album that Rico Suave is on, which is on an album called Moritmo. I don't know. I, and uh, um, it's it's Spanglish, you know, half of it's in English, half of it's in Spanish. It, uh, Rico Suave is like probably about the third song in. So the first song starts off and I honestly thought that I hit the random button by accident and it started off with Rico <laughs> Suave. But no, I did not start off with Rico Suave. I started off with a song called When the Lights Go Out, which has the exact same flow as Rico Suave with the It's got the same exact flow as three or four other songs on the album. Yeah, I wonder if they were all written by Michael Cimbello. You remember who Michael Cimbello? That's the wrote, uh, guy Maniac. who wrote Maniac from Flashdance, yeah. isn't it? Yes, it is indeed. You know the that same song guy. was originally about a serial killer? Yeah. Yeah, the song Maniac was originally about a serial killer. They re- they retooled it to be... That's a story for another time, but true story. I, I guess so, because I have no idea yeah. what you're talking about. True so. story. The song Maniac was originally about a serial killer. But talking about Gerardo here... I look up this song, and I looked up the lyrics, and half of them are in English, half of them are in Spanish, and this, basically what the song is saying is, I kind of dress like a slob, and I get all sorts of chicks, right? That's basically it. And I was a little confused, because, you know, the song's called Rico Suave, and I look up, our friend Gerardo over here, I figured whenever he says Rico, he's making reference to the fact that he's Puerto Rican. He is not Puerto Rican. He is nope, from, he's Ecuador. from Ecuador. Yeah, which is probably one of the least sexy of the Latin-speaking countries. <laughs> oh, that's be nice in Ecuador now. I'm sure that there are plenty of sensual, beautiful people in Ecuador. The ones that who, aren't selling cocaine? Who dress like slobs and still... Yeah, yeah. And yeah I mean, Ecuador and Colombia, that's like real, real famous for like drug running and, and, and cartels and... I have Colombian friends, and I would like to disavow that I have just heard that comment from you, Bill. Gerardo over here, he, this song was on, like, it was ranked on VH1 as one of the 100 greatest songs of the 90s. And it was yep. number nine on VH1's 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders. And mm-hmm. finally, Blender Magazine came to its senses because uh, in its 50... Worst songs ever, trademark. Rico Suave over here came in at number 37. Oh, I don't remember ever seeking out this song. I don't remember ever looking forward to this video coming around when it was on VH1 or MTV. But I remembered way more of this song than I ever <laughs> ever thought. I probably forgotten my kids' birthdays and still remember lyrics from this dumb, dumb song. And as I was watching the video, again, YouTube, I'm going to see Rico Suave come up through my YouTube feed now five million times. Watching this fuzzy video recorded, it looks like with a handycam, I'm like, I remember that dance move. Oh, my God. I remember. Yeah, this is where the girls are. And I remember it's like all the beats in the video as well. So at some point, I must have become a Rico Suave scholar and studied this video and or memorized the song. You're going to be getting travel videos coming to beautiful Ecuador. It is horribly catchy. It is like COVID-19. It is like uh, Space Herpes. It is awful catchy, this song. Not unlike the Take Me Out to the Ball Game, there is a lyric in this song that drives me crazy. Okay? 
the part that leads up to it is in Spanish, where he shows up to the date late, this, that, and the other, goes to the house, and switches back over into English, and he says that, you insisted that I meet your parents. They're going to like my appearance. Parents <laughs> and appearance do not rhyme. They only no, rhyme they because he's got an accent. Somebody has to explain and- to Gerardo, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> yeah. As I've made, as I continue to maintain, I like pop music and I, I don't, I don't despise this song the way I despise many others yes, you do. Uh, of this time period. This is 1991 where this song grates against my spinal cord and makes me squinch my eyes closed and make a face. That's like the smelling of sour milk. He has this like inflection in his delivery and it's, uh, I'll just try and like, I'm going to the store and I'm going to buy some milk. And it's like, shut. Know what it sounds like? It sounds like somebody impersonating a Spanish accent, but not a real Spanish accent. Yeah, that's ex- yeah, exactly. 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 It's exactly. funny. You see him now. He does like producing now. Like um, he was uh, the engineer and stuff like that for like en- Enrique Iglesias. And that guy put out like like yeah. 10 times platinum albums with Gerardo behind the, you know, in the driver's seat of that. I, I yeah. have a couple of them. And, great uh, records. But so that's what he's doing now. But it's really funny to see Gerardo like in 2022 or whatever the videos that I watched were from because when he's not in his Rico Suave, you know, leather jacket, no shirt, eight pack of abs and jeans so tight his balls are in his back pocket. <laughs> when he doesn't look like the Rico suave when he doesn't look like that he looks like i don't know like a contractor like somebody would be doing work around your house like um like just like a regular dude you know yeah he looks like somebody that would be like you know putting the roof on your house or fixing your sink or something like that he just looks like yeah he looks like a dude yeah he doesn't look like a guy who's like been in the music industry since 1990 he doesn't look like he was just like like hold on i gotta take a break and then start like ticking and popping and break dancing in the middle of your kitchen right <laughs> well, maybe he could, you know, get a job with a uh, kitchen remodeling vanilla ice, right? Isn't that what he's doing no, now? Right, doing right, the right. kitchen remodeling thing? He had a show on HGTV, you know, and every now and then they break down and it's either Ice Ice Baby or Rico Suave on the new countertops. Uh. <laughs> All right. So before I need my kitchen remodeled by 1990s husbands. All right. Our trivia question. Ooh. Roy Hinckley was a character on an American sitcom, but he was better known as another name. What character on what sitcom was also known as Roy Hinckley, but better known as... Something else. Ugh. Okay, so this is going to be something like Carmine Ragusa is the big ragu. Arthur Fonzarelli is the Fonz. What did you say Roy his name Hinkley. was? Roy Hinckley is the Hink. He's the Hink. He was on that show. Three guys in the, the thing with the puppet girls show. What? All right. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? (laughs) Mel Sharples. I was was actually figuring that you were going to guess. And I was like, this wasn't going to make a good trivia question. But Roy Hinckley is the name of... Sam the Butcher on... uh, The Professor on Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. Did they ever say his name on that show? Rarely mentioned on the show. But apparently he did have a backstory that was mentioned on the show. Beyond being the professor who could like build a two-way radio out of four coconuts and a palm frond, but couldn't yep. fix a hole in a boat. Right. But he was a high school science teacher who was born in Cleveland, Ohio. 
And his principal expertise is it was a botanist, which is why he couldn't fix a hole in a boat, but he could do stuff with coconuts. Yeah. But yeah, Roy Hinckley, the professor. I never would have got that. Never. Uh Never in a million years. So uh, thank you, Dan from Massachusetts, for sending in that question. Our listeners, if you have any suggestions for trivia questions, or maybe you want to hear a song that you don't like on the worst song ever, or you want to tell us your birthday, and we'll, we'll announce it. We can do that, too. Uh, make sure you send your birthday at least two months ahead of time. You can send us a message over on Instagram or on Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Uh, you should be following us there anyway for more daily memes and etc. We would love to hear from you because we're running out of material real fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. All there's right. 365 days of the year, Bill. Yeah. And there's millions upon millions of years. Yes. But that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibbly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They'll probably get all the trivia questions right, too. Bastards. Bastards.